The Good Samaritan. Great story, familiar story. Really, whether you grew up in church or not, you know the story. It's a man who's robbed and beaten. A priest and a Levite pass by. But then the Samaritan comes by, has compassion for the man, and helps him out. It sounds like a simple message of being a good neighbor. But not everybody understands the real meaning of this story. For example, a little boy returned home from Sunday school and his mother asked him what lesson the teacher had taught that day. He said it was about two preachers who saw a man in a ditch, but they didn't stop because he had already been robbed. <laughs> really, that, that's not it. So let's take a closer look today and see if we can't discover from the parable of the Good Samaritan what it really means to be a good neighbor. Well, let's begin by diving a little deeper into why so many of us don't become good Samaritans. Now, one would think that everyone would want to be known as a good Samaritan. I mean, good Samaritans get good press. Good Samaritans are praised. The good Samaritan has hospitals and charities and, well, even churches named after him. So who wouldn't want to be a good Samaritan? Well, a while back, a column was written in the Knoxville, Tennessee News Sentinel by a man by the name of David Hunter. Hunter recalled a, a colorful character from his childhood who was popularly known as the Good Samaritan. She was an elderly woman who spent each day on a street corner in downtown Knoxville, collecting money from passersby. She impressed many people with her neat uniform and her simple appeal, would you like to help the Good Samaritan? Who could say no? Only years later did Hunter learn that there was no Good Samaritan charity, that in fact the elderly lady in the impeccable uniform was pocketing the money for herself. And there it is the fear that many people have, that if they try to be a good Samaritan and help someone else, they'll be taken advantage of. And so as we come to the text for today, some of you are already skeptical. Even though this is one of Jesus' best known stories and one of his most important stories, there's a built-in resistance to its lesson. A lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a rather interesting beginning to the story, don't you think? A lawyer looking for a loophole? <laughs> but then, well, isn't that what we do so often? We look for loopholes in Jesus' teachings. So Jesus said to the lawyer, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This lawyer's no dummy. He's obviously a devout and intelligent man. Jesus said to him, hey, you've given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, Luke tells us, the lawyer pressed Jesus further, and who is my neighbor? It's a question we all ask. That's the loophole we seek. It's the assumption we all make. Hey, not everyone must be my neighbor. 
But then Jesus tells the story where he turns the tables and recreates our definition of neighbor. For in the story, it's an enemy, a Samaritan, someone the Jews cursed publicly in the synagogue, someone they would never want their daughter to marry, someone they would never cross the road themselves to help, someone lower in their estimation than any leper. That guy has compassion on the beaten man, on them, on us. This Samaritan has compassion on the man, treats the wounds, patches him up, and then puts him on his own animal, brings him to an inn, and takes care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Then Jesus turned the question back on the lawyer. Hey, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? <laughs> the lawyer can't wriggle out of this one. He says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. That's powerful. And it's also rather disturbing. Now, I'm not going to ask you to hold up your hand if you have ever passed by someone who was in trouble and then thought of this old, old story that our Lord told. We've all done it, haven't we? And for a host of good reasons. Well, <laughs> at least they sounded good at the time. Hey, I'm no hypocrite. I've given the same reasons myself. He'll just spend it on booze. It might be dangerous to stop. It's a bad neighborhood. Anyway, I've got hospital calls to make. I don't have enough time. But deep in the back recesses of our brains, the story remains, and it troubles us. You see, when we imagine ourselves as the Good Samaritan, we hardly consider the cost compassion may actually require of us. You know, these are the days when, to get involved, you may find yourself on the nightly news on the wrong end of a tragic story. <laughs> Just last month in Orlando, Florida, Jenica Campbell was attempting to help a hit-and-run victim when the suspect returned, striking her and the downed motorcycle rider, killing them both. Today, police and emergency squad workers have been known to refuse to give CPR or staunch the flow of blood out of fear of AIDS. Or in many neighborhoods, the more likely fear that they will become a victim of violence themselves. Compassion for those in need may cost a lot more than a little time, a little inconvenience, a little money. Active, life-saving love could cost you your life. And that's the point. Love costs. But hey, my purpose today isn't to increase your guilt level. Instead, it's to celebrate this much-loved story. For it says much about the foundations of our faith. The heart of the Christian faith is love. When Jesus asked the lawyer what is written in the law, the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. It's the very center of our faith. 
just like it was the very center of Old Testament faith. The great commandment was not something new that Jesus was seeking to introduce into Jewish faith and practice. It was already there. The problem is that it is easy in any religion to major in minors and to neglect what is fundamental, love for God and others. You know, it's no accident that Jesus chose a priest and a Levite to make his point. They're the ones that we would most expect to stop and help someone to obey the command of love your neighbor. And yet, being a religious professional does not mean that you possess a heart full of love. Notice the priest and the Levite, like the Samaritan, were going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. I mean, surely they had already visited the temple, and so they're inspired. They, they feel good about themselves. They've fulfilled their religious duties. And suddenly, the hollowness of their religious commitment is exposed. They had fulfilled the first half of the commandment. They had loved God, or so they thought. But now, passing down the road, they come upon this dreadful scene. By the side of the road lay a fellow Jew, badly beaten and nearly dead. The law required that they help him. He was, by definition, their neighbor, and they knew it. But they still passed him by. These two religious men may have been real stars in the temple or the synagogue. They might have read the Torah with eloquence and conviction. But they were miserable failures with regard to the second command. And if they failed the second, well, they also failed the first. You can't love God without first loving your neighbor. <laughs> Is anybody else here today starting to feel a little uncomfortable? Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, says St. Paul in 1 Corinthians, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clashing symbol. Love and action is at the heart of faith. And yet, if we're honest, there's no one, none of us, who can ever live up to that standard. There's no one who is that good. In answer to the question, what must I do to receive eternal life? The law is clear. Love God with everything you've got. And love your neighbor as well. In this parable, Jesus tells us what we ought to do as good Christians to receive eternal life. But there's no power in us to actually do it <laughs> and to keep doing it without a break. All the parable can really do is remind us how we ought to act and then show us just how far we actually are from doing it. All it can do is remind us of our own selfishness and how we so often put ourselves in our own health, our own need, our own safety, our own desires before others. All it can do is remind us how loveless we often are. All it can do is remind us how poor we've been as a neighbor. And finally, it can only drive us to despair because of our failure to keep God's commands. But wait a minute. <laughs> Galatians chapter 3 says, 
For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But thankfully, the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. In other words, eternal life is not won by being good, but by the one who was good in our place. We are saved for eternity by the one who embodied all the goodness of the Good Samaritan, namely Jesus Christ. This Good Samaritan kept all of the law in our place. He loved God with all of his being, and he showed his love for us when we were helpless. When we were lying beside the road, beaten and bloody in our sin, when we were about to breathe our last breath, it's then that God saw us lying there, And he had mercy on us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And unlike the priest and the Levite who were afraid to become unclean, and like so many of us who are still afraid to be taken advantage of or inconvenienced if we show compassion, Jesus went out of his way to become unclean, to become sin for us. Jesus counted the cost, and he paid it anyway. And not only that, but he has bound up our wounds, he has put salve on our hurts, and he's provided the healing and the comfort that our souls so desperately need. How much does God love us? That much. No other God has scars in his hands from stooping to help a stranger beside the road. No other God would die so that we might live forever. The young Pharisee asked, how can I love my neighbor if I don't know who he is? And Jesus replied, it's it's not who he is that's really important. It's who you are. My friends, there is no other way by which people are saved other than by the love of Jesus. So, who is my neighbor? Anyone who needs love. Anyone who needs the love of Jesus. And who am I? Like a good neighbor, I am there. May God grant it for Jesus' sake. Amen.